I'm Zach Elliott. Welcome to Lab the Podcast. This is a place you'll find life and beauty in every season and in every story. The podcast features honest conversations about faith, hope, and love that will inspire, encourage, and maybe even challenge you to discover the unexpected life and beauty surrounding you right now. Hey, welcome to Lab the Podcast. So good to be back with all of you. And today, we get to go on a bit of a road trip. We're going to get out of Tampa, Florida. We're not back at our home base uh, at Buddy Brew. So we are on the road, and I'm, we're going to take you with us. We're going to find our way out west to maybe one of the most beautiful spaces that I've had the privilege to enjoy. Ayers Vineyard sits atop Ribbon Ridge in Oregon's Chehalem Valley. And from the property, you can literally stand, and if you turn in 360 degrees, you will only see gentle hillsides, beautiful trees, and flourishing vineyard after flourishing vineyard. And if, you're, if you kind of get quiet, you'll hear birds. Uh, they're everywhere. You can hear them in the background. You'll hear the breeze that kind of gently moves through the trees that are scattered about the, the hillside and the landscape. And when you get quiet and you find the birds go away for a bit, you'll catch just this incredible silence that for all of us who are living in a more urban context, you, you know you can even feel what that feels like. And if you stand there for a few seconds, you're going to feel your body come to rest, and you'll experience rest within minutes uh, in this beautiful space. And you'll be resting on some really good soil, in fact, perfectly fit for producing some of the world's finest fruit. And this is where you'll find my friends Brad and Kathleen McElroy. They're the owners and proprietors, the people behind the dream of Ayers Vineyard. And they're cultivating and sharing some of Oregon's finest wine. And it, it's wine that is raved and reviewed about and I've enjoyed. And pretty much everyone who em encounters it has the same reaction, that there's just something really special to the fruit and to the work that Brad and Kathleen are doing. But they're also people who have chosen to walk by faith and they set out in the direction of a dream and they live and they work and they raise their children close to the earth and with a really beautiful sense of generosity and humility that is, it's a fruit from a different kind of vine and it's strange, it's that peculiar thing that when you encounter it, it just makes you smile and you go, I want to know more about who these people are and what's behind this incredible generosity and humility. So Brad and Kathleen, thank you for making space and sharing time with us. This is a gift for a whole bunch of reasons, but I'm so grateful to get to share some time. Oh, we're excited to share time with you, Zach. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Zach. Yeah. Tell us, just before we get into anything else, what's Oregon? Give us a glimpse of an Oregon July day, because so many people are listening from different parts of the country and around the world. And what's July in Oregon on Ribbon Ridge? Just give us a picture of what a typical July day on Ribbon Ridge is like. Well, the sun came over the Shehala Mountains uh, about five o'clock this morning, so we were we were early risers, so we were up to to, to enjoy it. It's uh, cool and breezy right now, probably in the low fifties, and I think it's going to max out right around eighty today, and uh, relatively low humidity. So that is uh, to me a, a wonderful place to live, as well as a wonderful place to grow grapes because it's very suited for for that purpose. 
Yeah, everybody in Florida who was listening just went, wait, did you just say 50? And it (laughs) swings to 80. Yes, there's a temperature change that takes place, which is super strange for people who haven't experienced that. Kathleen, how are you doing and how's the family? How have things been for you all during this COVID disruption? How, How has that impacted life on Ribbon Ridge? Yeah, Zach, I mean, very relevant question. Um, Brad and I were just talking this morning how just living the ag life and living on a farm during this, I I think, you know, when we're about five years down the road from this and we look back, we're going to say, man, that was going through COVID on a farm was about the perfect place to do it. You know, like nature keeps its own rhythm. Nature hasn't missed a beat. And so it's just been like a very good uh, milepost. It's just been orienting. It's been our North Star to just watch, watch as it continues. And um, just having the kids be able to see that. And, um, you know, all in all, the transition has been, um, it's been okay. It's been, it's been good. Like I've seen huge amounts of growth from all involved during this. And I, I, I think that's a point for everybody. Yeah. Well, it's one of the reasons, you know, even we set this up, it was in my imagination well before COVID and then mm-hmm. the, the COVID conversation started to, to happen and it looked like we weren't going to be able to do this in person uh, out in Oregon, but it, it, it's almost more relevant to have our conversation with you today in the midst of all that. Cause for all of us mm-hmm. who, aren't in that space, we are looking for uh, a little bit of that rhythm that I think you mentioned, and we'll get into it, just the way of life that you guys live almost sets you free from some of the constant pressure maybe that people are feeling uh, when they have less access to the evening and morning rhythm and the seasonal rhythm and the work that continues rhythm, um, regardless of what's going on around the world. And so we'll get into that. And you guys chose really intentionally. I think this is one of the wonderful things about your story is you set out to see this dream come to pass, that you would inhabit a place where your work and your life and everything would be integrated. And I thought to start before we get into what your what life today and the seasons and what you're learning, take us back to the dream of Ayers Vineyard. And I'll let you guys fight over who goes and who, who you can share it, you can tag team it. But tell us just kind of take us back to the dream days when you were dreaming about Ayers Vineyard. What was the dream? And then what was your why for finally pulling the trigger and making the leap and, and saying it's time? and to head out and begin this dream? Well, I think Brad and I made a pretty good team uh, going about this dream and kind of co-creating it. And it all started, we were living in Kansas City, Missouri, and Brad had a, a pretty busy wine shop business, and he worked a lot. And um, on Sunday mornings, it was that was our time to connect together, and we would usually... Uh, make ourselves our espresso and sit out on the deck and just, just talk, 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 talk. And on one of those Sunday mornings, Brad hatched this, you know, I'll let Brad get more into his, his vision because he, he was the one who had this vision because he had been out here. Um, and it, it really was as simple as that. It was a quiet 
Sunday morning with some great coffee and a chance to talk with anything allowed on the table. And Brad mentioned something and I, I said, let's go. <laughs> How many years ago? Remind us again. To take us back to the dreaming days because this is not. So, all this took place in, in the late 1990s. And through, as, as Kathleen said, you know, we were living in Kansas City. And, you know, we were busy. We were, we were go, go, go. The business was growing. You know, it seems like a lot of, of our time and energy was, was just on the growth side. You know, through travel, um, I, I was able to experience uh, Oregon in the early 90s and just, just fell in love with the area. And then Kathleen had spent a fair amount of time in the Northwest growing up as well. And, you know, through meeting people that, that actually lived on land, grew grapes and made wine, I was just in awe of, of the lifestyle in which they were able to have. And um, Kathleen and I were, were, were newly married and, and enjoying life in Kansas City, but, but there was something missing. And so, you know, we just had the conversation that's, you know, we're young, we can do this. And so let's just go do it. Hmm. And, and often people would say, what, and then how, how does this work? Well, you, you just do it. You have faith going to work out, you know, you, you, uh, set a plan and then you go. And I feel so blessed that we were able to create what we have here. Because to me, um, Ayers is a vineyard and a winery, but it's, it's family. So it's a place for our kids to grow up. We live on the property with Kathleen's parents, Don and Carol are just next door. So we have three generations here on the property. And I just feel so, so very blessed that, that we're able to live that way. For everybody listening, I mean, right away, I want you to, if you haven't been to Ayers, you know, maybe someday in a post-COVID landscape, you can book your time and, and go out there. I would encourage it. But on this this idea that you have multiple generations living together, cultivating this dream, working it from the ground up, we're going to get into a lot of those layers. But Brad, winemakers are this equal part artist, farmer, scientist, business people and Kathleen you mentioned it you kind of had the perfect team and maybe the grandparents are a part of that as well but is that what it takes to I mean were you were you scientists artists farmers grape growers before this and <laughs> or did you literally just say I have a dream I want to see this through Kathleen said yep good coffee we're in and then you started to learn the farming side or, yeah, I guess that's a lot of questions in one, but are those, are really all of those layers a part of what it takes to do what you all do? And what part of that was the steepest learning curve uh, as you started the journey? Yes. All of those things, Zach, just yes to everything. Um, the, uh, I would say the hardest part for us definitely for me, anyway, it was the farming aspect. I mean, were we farmers? No. <laughs> were we? I mean, I mean, like we could we could sort of change our own light bulbs when we came out here, but that was about it. We we, we had to learn. We had to learn fast. And Brad will tell you the the biggest part about winemaking is just problem solving. 
Yeah, I mean, that's... So, Kathleen hit it on the head. You know, we... If if you were to look at a couple that was not prepared <laughs> to do what we did, that we would be the poster child. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's... It's, it's crazy because, you know, it, in so many things in life, uh, it's about community. And I always use the, the comment that, that both Kathleen and I grew up in suburbs, she in Denver, myself in Kansas City. So agriculture was not a part of our, our upbringing, our DNA, or, or, or us at all. Um, but like so many other things, when you network, when you surround yourselves with, with people that have done it smarter people than yourselves and you, and you, you just, you experience it. And, and that is one of the things that, that today is still here in Oregon. It's community. And so people want to help people want to educate because I think that early on a lot of the, the, the growth for the Oregon wine industry, it was just a lot of people that realized if they all work together, they're all going to go forward. And that feeling is still today. You know, when we bought the property, we bought a hazelnut orchard that was 90 years of age and it was tired and sick and it had the blight. So it was, it was ready to go away. Mm. So after the property was cleared, you know, Kathleen and I, well, let's go prep the land. We didn't own a tractor. We were picking up sticks with a wheelbarrow and our neighbors probably thought, oh my goodness, what are <laughs> Wait, wait. We didn't even own a wheelbarrow though. Yeah, like yeah. we got a wheelbarrow after about day seven of picking up sticks and you know throwing them in a pile. So the wheelbarrow was a huge advancement for us. Yes. I it, this part of the story is why part of this was so, I was so excited for people to get to hear this because today, if you encounter airs and you enjoy. Uh, the tasting room, the experience, maybe you just find your way to your wine. You you wouldn't know that you were picking up sticks, that you didn't own a wheelbarrow, that you, <laughs> you know, were starting from absolute scratch. And it just makes the story really beautiful. What's Tell us about the name. Just how did you arrive at Ayers? What does that mean? And I know the, multi the vision of multiple generations, too, is a part of the story. So tell us a little bit about the name and then how you found the property. Like, how did you actually find this place and say, and why did this become the place that you said, this is where we're going to do it? Okay. Uh, the namesake, actually, um, it is a family name. So um, it's my mother's maiden name. And, and when her father, uh, grandfather, um, Bob Ayers, when he passed away, there were no sons or brothers in the family. So we thought it would be a nice tribute to name the wine in honor of, of my grandfather. Mm. And then actually uh, something that came about many years later was really, really cool is, is where we are. Uh, it's an American viticultural area called Ribbon Ridge. And that became um, an AVA back in 2005. And one of the geographical boundaries to this AVA happens to be uh, Ayers Creek. Wow. It is a little creek on the northwest boundary of, of the AVA. And it just so happens that we had no idea that this creek existed. And through the documentation going to the feds, uh, it came about that one of the boundaries was Ayers Creek. And it's like, wow, 
that's quite serendipitous. We had no idea that this was here, but it's we were meant to be here. That's incredible. Well, I also have to add part of the naming um, of heirs. Um, when we when we finally decided, uh, Brad said, you know, the heir's the name is going to be fitting because Grandpa Ayers, that guy, he could fix anything. He could build anything. He could make anything. He was an incredibly industrious man, um, all of which his skills we didn't have. So Brad, Brad was trying to pull in, pull in Grandpa Ayers' spirit to, to help us become a little more um, worthy of the tasks that, that were at hand. And, and uh, so that, w- that was one way to honor him. And try to help us at the same time. I, yes, and, and, and as Kathleen mentioned earlier, I mean, so much of what we do, if it not be work in the vineyard or work over in the winery, it's your problem solve. Um, because, yes, you've experienced things, but there's always something that comes your way that you have to just sit back and, and think about it and, and go from there. And, you know, that that is one thing that we've really instilled in, in the wine that we make is, is every season mother nature will give you something a little bit different to work with. Yeah. And we embrace those differences. And, and I think that by being able to do that and having actually the confidence to be able to do that really allows you to, to make a wine that reflects your place. And, and that, that is exactly what we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to re- the expression of the season expression of where we are, and you know we're making a uh, a wine that that should be different year to year. Yeah. Well, the closeness to the 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 dirt, so to speak, um, is such a part of that story that gets told season to season. And I was absolutely fascinated, Brad, when you were kind of educating me as we walked through your vineyard uh, one of the first times that we were up there, and you were just sharing about the the subtle tiny little changes in weather um in in anything that shifts the the ecosystem a little bit will change the the flavor or the signature for that year just incredible to learn when you have not grown up on a farm you don't understand these things and which i i didn't i wish i would have and i i wonder if you could say for your kids because you guys said you came from the suburbs so many of us who are listening we're in the urban setting we're in the suburban setting and and we we just don't we, we there's things that we want to expose our kids to and we're maybe going I, I want them to have a little bit more of this capacity or that capacity and there's just no way to learn it without doing it how did if you could say today um, what is different about your kids today because you guys launched into this adventure what would you say is the single maybe one or two things that they have in their character that you just can't, you can't get it without actually being in the, in that dirt. Well, I would say our kids are are very grounded, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, through all the ups and downs of of the last, what, four or five months, they've been a rock. Four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I would totally agree. Grounded when you ask that really, really profound question, grounded is the exact word that came to my mind too. And I think a groundedness from there that sprouts a lot of different qualities, right? Like 
you know, patience, perspective, um, confidence. Well, and yeah, empathy, compassion, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've just been fascinated over the last few years, you know, you guys know I was involved in a writing project and got to do a book project with a friend. And part of that process was asking some of these questions about who are we as creatures and and what environment, how are we made to interact with each other and with earth and God. And some of those are the questions that were on our minds going into the book. And I spent so much time with different people along that journey talking about their experience of being human, encountering or experiencing God. A hundred percent of the people, and I've been a pastor for a long time, and a hundred percent of the people that I talked to in the writing process said that it was in the dirt, it was in the ground, it was outside where they had this experience of God. They could experience or kind of had a quietness about them maybe that allowed them to experience God. And I had that experience in a profound way. I'll never forget it. We were walking through your vineyard. Our family had gone up there to take family pictures with our kids. You had been generous enough to let us come and take some some pictures. And I was walking just down one of the, the vineyard. I don't even know the right term for it. I was this path between these two rows of vines. And for just a moment, I was, everything got quiet. And I had one of those experiences where you just feel like you're present, you're fully present. And you, and I had that awareness like, God, you made this place. And there's fruit that's coming up out of the ground that brings joy. It was just a really profound and wonderful experience. And I thought, man, that took place in one walk down a vineyard. I'm curious for you, how has living and working outside and being in that environment maybe shaped or changed or impacted your perspective on faith itself? Oh, yeah. I I think, I think it deepens every single day. You know, I mean, this has been a 20 year journey of that. And just yesterday, Zach, I was walking up and down. I don't know if you remember the, there's a big avenue in between um, portions of the vineyard and it's a pretty good sized hill. Yep. And there's a well-worn path up and down this hill and it's getting more worn as this time goes on. But, you know, all of us, we all kind of take it out on this hill. We, we walk up and down at various times of the day just to kind of work things out. And yesterday I was walking and thinking about um, there's a Pearl Jam song um, called Man of the Hour. And in, in there, there's a lyric that says nature has its own religion, gospel of the land. And that that lyric, it goes through my head a lot when I'm walking outside. And I just, I just think for, for me and for us, it's being here. It's, it's, it's a truth. There's, there's nowhere here that you're not surrounded by, connected to, reminded of God. I mean, it's, it's like oxygen. I love the description of like oxygen and that's the conclusion that I kind of came to. I love the way that you said that. Like, there's nowhere that you you can go. And, yeah, yeah the heavens declare the glory of God. It's just self-evident. You're standing. You're not in a space that you made. You're you're getting mm-hmm. to be in a place that was pre-exist. It's before you. And 
there's something profound and really healthy about that. Um, and I, I just can't imagine, too, that well-worn path, like you described that hillside and coming up there, and one of the first things you said is, it's well-worn. We've, we've uh-huh. done some trips up and down there, and there's lessons, I'm sure, over and over and over that you're being taught by the seasons, by those paths, by fruit and the vulnerability of the vines. Yeah. I. What is the most, for you, the season that maybe teaches the most? Um, we might think it's the, the harvest season or the bountiful season, but I'm wondering, and maybe it is, but what what's the season that maybe teaches the most, where you learn the most from the ground itself or just from the ecosystem and the environment itself? So I would say, you know, the easy answer is, oh, it's harvest because you are picking your, your fruits of your labor and then you're going to go to work making the wine. But often um, I get really charged with spring because as everything starts to come back alive, as the grapevine it will go dormant through the winter months. And it's a great thing for the, the vine because it's, it's, it's resting, it's relaxing, it's, it's building up energy to do its job the next year. And I think as humans, we all need that too. We need to rest and we need to take care of ourselves. So we go through the vineyard and, and do our winter pruning. But then uh, typically mid-April, we have bud break and everything becomes waking back up. And you've got all of this new growth and all of this pent-up energy. And, and it's like all of a sudden it starts again. And to me, I think as a human, it's always nice to have that ability because you always want to be moving forward and having uh, rest and growth, I think is important to be a balanced human being. I love the, you just touched on winter. And I think so many people have been talking about this COVID season and the Mm -hmm. pandemic and they've saying, is this a winter? Are we entering a winter? Mm -hmm. Is it not just a snowstorm or a blizzard but this is actually going to be a different season and we fear winter uh, those of us who don't have that narrative that you just shared brad if winter can be scary it feels like something to avoid or something to rush through i've experienced kind of the strangeness of endless summer here living in in <laughs> florida not having those breaks even just physiologically uh-huh. And I think you're so right that there it's not something to be afraid of. Winter is a thing. It is a part of this cycle in this season. And after winter comes spring. And I just thank you for that. That's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Bud break is a good name. That, uh-huh. Is that really just the, that's a term that you all share? That would be the term when actually, yes, the, the, the vine becomes, it wakes back up. And, and all of the growth comes from that single bud. And the, the other thing that, that I had a really difficult, well, I didn't really comprehend since I didn't grow grapes earlier in life. But the way we train that grapevine is we will use the cane wood. So this is where all the growth for next year is going to come, is growing this season. So when we do our winter pruning, we will leave one of the canes left over. And that will be the source of all those buds in the next year. So when you're growing grapes, it's just not the weather of this year, but it's the weather of next year really dictate what we're going to do. 
That's that's incredible to think about and incredible to think about even the flavor profiles. Like you said, that a year in advance, things are already being imprinted uh, that'll carry forward. That's incredible. Right. So the fruit of this season is obviously out there, but the fruit of next season is already in the works too. It's so, being shaped I mean, right now. Person, yeah. I mean, this is, these are the things that these are the nature's cues that are incredibly helpful right now. And I think incredibly important. Yeah. Well, it's, I wish again that we could just all take a field trip and walk through because these are the lessons, Kathleen, like you said, that I think everybody listening, just again, put a pin right in that space and season, winter, bud break. And what I love is that this happens every year. This is a 20-year story for you or maybe over 20-year story for you. And we can sometimes think like this winter is never going to end. Like it's just if the season is never going to change and yet bud break comes and it does. And I think that living with the remembrance of winter and the anticipation of spring and the memory that it does come, it can give us some peace in the moment when it's December and there is no bud break and you're having to go outside in the mud and it's not all romantic and springtime, July 50 degree mornings. Zach, can I say one other thing about winter? Please, yeah. I I have winter on my mind. I really do. Like the actual months of winter coming up. Um, And I I think what's important to remember or realize or even give yourself permission to think about is that, you know, I think part of every winter and certainly part of this time I mean, even in the height of summer right now, I, I think there's a real element of grief happening. And I think our culture isn't awesome at integrating grief or even recognizing or naming it. Um, and I think that's what winter is for. It's it's for honoring that. Mm. Um, and bud, bread break, bread break isn't supposed to happen in winter. You know, this this amazing sunshine isn't supposed to, I mean, here in Oregon anyway, <laughs> It is. That's not what it's about in winter. Winter is for something very different, and I just think it's okay for for people going through that in their own individual ways to to say it, it's all right. It's okay that it's different. It's okay this doesn't feel great. It's okay that I'm grieving. Um, and I, I know that kind of like maybe went to left field in a hurry, but um, that's what I was thinking about. Um, when we're talking about seasons. No, it's so good. This is why we wanted to talk to you uh, all, just because there's so much we can learn from you and from your experience in that space. Maybe share if you can, and I'll let either of you take this one, and you can go um, vineyard or life side on this one. But it's for, for a lot of us, we don't have reps um, entering that winter space. And Kathleen, I think you said it well. We're not used to it. We try to avoid it. We don't have a, a really good understanding of grief and what's the purpose of winter. Did it take you some time to get used to that? Did you experience disruption within you um, as you had to learn that you can't go faster than the seasons? And that there's did you have to kind of recalibrate your uh, workflow or your life flow 
to kind of match what was true about the seasons? That's question one. And then maybe on the personal side, is there a is there a correlation that you went, man, those same lessons we learned from the land here, that's actually true in this season of winter that I'm going through now. You know, what's really interesting is that, and this is going to go deep fast, but um, in our own personal um, struggles and um, parts of our, our own personal winters, they have actually happened in the physical winter, you know, hmm. um, a long time ago, you know, right at the beginning of this dream. Um, our first son died in physical winter. So, I mean, literally, Zach, when I tell you, like, the land has, the land babysat us through mm. that time. And, and seeing, watching, living with the seasons, um, I think that, I think that's why we're all the more connected to this place. Um, because we literally, we would, we would, we walked through it with, um, nature we would we would look outside for our clues of <laughs> what do we do today how wow. how and why did i get out of bed today um and then just just a year and a half ago with brad's uh, journey through cancer that too happened in physical literal winter and we found ourselves not 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 quite back at the same place because i think every time you go and you grieve and you and you you face that you don't go all the way back there again um but still it was it was a different it was a different metaphorical type of winter in the literal winter hmm. you... and so that's been our very personal experience of how it's our story is just absolutely intertwined can never be separated from what we've experienced um, and how this land has healed us. There's, you know, when you guys do tastings, uh, you like let the, the glass breathe or, you know, people will just set something out there. And even with food, you know, we just, we don't rush into it. You just, you just let it sit for a bit and, and before you get to enjoy or share something and what you just said has, we could let it just sit there for probably quite a while. And the reality of you, you said that our connection with the ground um, babysat us. It, it kind of nurtured us. It, it there was like a midwife process that the land provided for you through those spaces. Mm-hmm. And again, just you all know if you're listening that I am I'm pushing in this direction I'm asking questions in this direction because I think we're losing something uh, I think it's important for us to be intentional to find ways to integrate and connect back with the actual dirt because I think that there's something real and true there that is a provision for us as we walk through our other winters the seasons of our lives and so pay attention to that and I hope you just heard Kathleen too say that you get stronger, that there is strength. And so if you're listening and you're in a winter, bud break, there is a bud break. There will be a bud break. There will be another winter as well. But there is, there, we, we, we grow through these things and we change through these things. And so, yeah, go back and listen if you, 
if you can, to what Kathleen said. I think she just set us up for some some things that we can go back to over and over again. So thank you for that. Mm, yeah. One of the things, too, that we're all facing right now, just inundated with mis- stories of mistrust and division. And I mean, if, if you're in the news or if you're in the news cycle or if you pick up your phone, you just feel that come flying at you. And it seems like isolation and separation are just kind of magnified due to the COVID crisis and some of the cultural cross pressures that we're facing. And Brad, you mentioned this earlier, but you have kind of built a life welcoming people to your home and inviting them to be a part of this process and opening your table to share what you are working so hard to bring forth and to steward and to share Help, help us out, like as we take the turn here, help us think about welcoming strangers and extending a hand right now in this hyper-polarized, hyper-divisive kind of cultural moment that we're in. What have you learned about welcoming strangers, people who just come from all over the world literally to visit your home? I mean, they're literally in driving past your house and standing on your land what have you learned about welcoming the stranger and intersecting with this other uh, person over the, the long course of this story? Well, um, to go back in time, uh, before even doing this, when I was a wine merchant, I would often take friends and clients overseas. And, and, and just the experience that I had visiting this tiny little chateau in the south of France and the welcoming that was, was giving to us. It was, I was just, I thought that was so, so cool. And Kathleen and I decided that let's create that here in the United States. So we chose to move to Oregon and, you know, we've been able to experience people from all over the world, different backgrounds, you know, diff- different ways of life, different thought you know different political it's not you know it's it's just people Mm -hmm. and everyone is everyone comes with a story and i think that that you as a human you have to be accepting that there are lots of ways to look at life and and to go through it without judgment because we are all on a path and we all are giving opportunities and sometimes you learn and sometimes you're giving the opportunity through more experiences to learn otherwise. So I think that the biggest thing that, that, that I've seen from, from all the different people that come our way is, is for whatever reason, the right people find you mm-hmm. and people come in and out of your life for many reasons. But I think you just have to be open and, and, and trust that, that the right people are going to find you and just take from their experiences, you know, that, that, everyone is on a different path and and as human we can't we can't just have judgment we have to be accepting right because welcoming strangers which i mean zach you've seen brad in action he's it's his gift it's 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 really beautiful yeah i mean it's it's really amazing Uh, but when you when you welcome a stranger it's 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 this acceptance of it is humanity. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about humanity here. When Kathleen, you mentioned it, you both have it. You both have that gift. And 
Brad, when you, I've watched you engage people. And I think the last time we were out there, actually, I was kind of standing back watching this family, you know, and they park and they get out and they're bringing their stuff. And, and I thought you are literally arm, arms open, welcoming these people. You have no idea who these people are and they're driving onto your property and they're, they're curious, they're, they're interested. They want your time and to be able to just throw your arms open, welcome them to the table, invite them to the story, get to know their story. It is a gift. And you guys have lots of reps. And I think nature and nurture, it all plays a part in who you've been created to be to, to help us learn this. But what do you think needs to be true in us in order to have that kind of posture? And I'm imagining even the suspicion some of us have about our own literal neighbors in our neighborhoods. And some of us don't even know them. We just don't even, we've, we've not even reached out to meet the people who live next to us or across the street. And what, what needs to change? What needs to be true in us? Help coach us, I guess, a little bit as people who have learned to just take that posture, that winsomeness and that curiosity, that whatever it is that allows people to feel like they can walk right up to you on your land and lean in. Well, I think that, you know, the biggest thing we have to do is, is put away the fear, mm-hmm. put away the fear of the unknown. Um, and just trust all in all people are good. And, you know, let's, let's face it. Sometimes people make bad choices and, um, just have the confidence that, that the better of man will come out, um, mm. uh, before, before moving to Oregon, when I had my, my retail shop, um, you know, I experienced people from all different walks of life. And, you know, the, one of the biggest things that, that I found is, is, is just compassion because I, you know, I dealt with a fair amount of, of people that would be beggars or, you know, people that were down on their luck and it would be easy just to turn your back and, and, and be fearful and walk away. But they're a human being and, and they've made choices that might not have been the best for them, but, but they're still a human being. And from that experience, you know, I felt that, that you give people a chance, you know, you don't, you don't close the door before you even talk to them. So you've got to be welcoming. And, and I think that fear is, is really bad. Yeah. Fear will, 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 will take you down a hole. So just be open. Well, fear will close that door. Yeah. I think, I think Brad nailed it. I think, I think it's all about, yeah, fear managing what we have to do in ourselves is manage our own levels of fear and be willing to look at that honestly and authentically. And, but then that brings us back to grief, doesn't it? And winter. So mm-hmm. now we're just, we're, we're, the circle keeps widening. The ripple effect is real. Yeah. I think this is what's so true, like those walks up and down the hill and what you're having to go through in the loss of a child, in seasons of sickness, in uncertainty about diagnosis, and those things are being worked out up and down those hills, back and forth in those seasons. And that work has to go on. It has to be done in order for you to open your arms up, be unafraid, and welcome a stranger. 
and sit down with them. And I think judgment, you, you, you both have nailed these incredibly important things for us to just give voice to judgment is a quick, it's a quick and it's a subtle little creep that happens in our life. And because I'm not, I don't judge. I don't make those judgments. Everybody's got a story before listening to this. We had an assumption about winemakers from these romantic parts of the world. And, you know, 20 minutes into the story, you go, Oh my goodness, they lost a child. Oh my goodness. They've walked through cancer. Uh Oh my goodness. They're living in community with their parents. Like there's a thicker story. I think, thank you for a, just opening your life up to share that, but also reminding us that everybody that walks out of their car and comes up to enjoy a moment with you, they've got a story too. You have no idea the layers and the winters and the, the bud breaks that they've experienced and to be able to be generous enough to create space that says, yeah, we can all be here with those stories and there's going to be some learning from each other and there's going to be some times that fear props up and pokes up and we have to be honest about that and be willing to confront it because love drives out fear and it will over and over. Yeah. Well, there's even on a community level, this is true. And again, Brad, you mentioned this, but one of the things that struck me uh, when you kind of told the story of the area of Ribbon Ridge and the Shehalem Valley is that there isn't this sense of competition and fear between winemakers. I mean, literally your property, you can drive up this little gravel road and you'll go right over the, the ridge to the next winery. And there's a sense that you're all in it together and you have learned something really beautiful about the spirit of collaboration and community that can help us. I mean, whether we are leading businesses or churches or organizations, uh, there is a lot of fear. There is a lot of competition. There is a lot of scarcity mindset that dominates everything from the church to business to our own organizations and families help us learn from your experience. What makes that possible? How have you and the other winemakers been able to cultivate this really incredible community where you can borrow somebody's tractor, you're sharing uh, tips and uh, ideas about the weather and helping each other out. What has helped to cultivate that? And how can we learn from that as we think about this post COVID landscape where we need each other and we need to kind of put the fear down and not be in the competition mode as much as is working more like you do? Well, you know, when you look at the, the history of the Oregon wine scene, um, it really started in the late 60s and early 70s. And I think that, you know, culturally what was going on in the United States, there was a lot of, you know, unrest. And a lot of people moved to Oregon to kind of get out of that unrest and and then they you know not that you know the, the analogy oh it was a bunch of hippies well it was a, a a bunch of people that that had community in mind and you know they they helped one another because they were coming to a region that wasn't proven it was it was the thought was why would you go to oregon to grow pinot noir mm-hmm. it rains too much there you're never going to get it ripe well through trial and error and people learning, you know, I, we have, have, have the, the benefit of starting when we did, there was many decades of, of ups and downs. But the thing is, people shared that information. And that is the sense of, I think that, that of a lot of, of why the industry has the reputation that it has. 
you know, um, as the, the industry was growing, a lots of, a lots of things happened in, in, in other areas in, in this country, they grew much faster than they have grown in Oregon. And really, you know, when we started, the, the thought was like, they make wine in Oregon. You know, it was, it was so unheard of and it was so new. And I think that the, the growth has been very managed and, and it hasn't, you know, just gone crazy. And I think that just keeping things in check has really helped uh, with with being able to retain that communal feeling. Um, oh, go ahead. The better, the better that everybody does, the, the better for everybody, right? Like, you know, like, take it back to what a grapevine offers, you know? Does a grapevine, will it withhold fruit from you? just because or what will it with will it make a judgment no it, it, it's preposterous i think we need to you know i think that spirit of like what happens organically with the crops it it, it happens organically with this community too this the same thought of like hey brother i want you to rise i want you to do better like the that helps all of us you know and another thing this organ wine growing community is great at is is giving space when space is needed so it's this great rhythm and great balance of leaning in and and being there and offering help and then like stepping back and like hey you be you like you have like do what you need to do hmm. well you can feel it um i i think what's so cool is you hearing that story about the collaboration and how people work together to, to help bring about the entire region, the entire area at a head level. That was awesome. But you can feel it when you're driving down the road, you see people out on a tractor or, you know, you'll see neighbors crossing the street to go help each other out. And it's just, a, it, 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 it's a glimpse at what's possible that there is a way to work together for the benefit uh, and the flourishing of, of our neighbor um, that actually contributes to the wholeness of our experience and our life as well. And you, you just do it really well. I can't say it enough. Like, go visit, go experience these places. As Brad said, going to the south of France, there's things that you encounter with with these the ag community, Kathleen, as you say it, that, that can teach us so much uh, to carry back to our own neighborhoods. And one of the things that is just easy to tee up is uncertainty. You know, we're thinking about returning our kids to school and, you know, what's that going to look like? What's the fall going to look like? And it's, it's almost like we can't predict anything anymore because everything changes every two weeks. And you, I remember Brad walking through your grapes and you were talking about the vulnerability and even just the timing of harvest and how the weather can shift and it can change everything and your plans can kind of have, they have to iterate depending on these things that are outside of your control. So you have reps in this area of living outside of control or living under an umbrella, kind of literally sometimes, where things aren't in your control. What has this winemaking journey taught you about living with uncertainty and being able to show up day after day? just believing that, you know, you're going to put your feet one foot in front of the other and you're going to make it to your goal, but you're going to do that in crazy uncertainty. You can't, there's so much that's outside of your control. How are, have you been able to be disciplined and, and what have you learned about living with that constant 
reality of uncertainty? Well, Mother Nature always wins. So <laughs> regardless of what you think or what you're going to do, it, you can't affect that. <laughs> All you can do, I, I think, is, is make the best choices you can with what information you've got. And then being able, you know, we've been doing this for a while, so, so we have years of experience. But just having the faith and the confidence that it, it is going to work out and you're going to, you know, as, as a winemaker, we're going to make the greatest wine we can make every year. And just, just having the faith that it's going to work out and knowing that, that, that we cannot control it. And I think often in life, we, we think we, we can control everything and we really can't. And it's just, it's having the, the faith that it's going to work out. You know, we're on this planet to do what we're supposed to do and just know that somebody's looking after us. I think that's important. Hmm. Well, the action word here, the action word to all this is surrender, right? Hmm. And surrender is hard. That is hard to, that's a hard practice. That's a hard discipline. Hmm. But that's what it comes down to, really, I think. Well, I'm living in that posture of surrender, uh, Kathleen, as you say it, and that hope as Brad offers that that all shall be well, so to speak, as Julian of Norwich says, like that it will work out. We are moving towards this space where all manner of things will be well, all things will be set right. So there's that promise in the future. We are moving towards something that where it, it will orient and and all will be well. And in this moment, I can't control it. And learning to surrender is is the answer, but it's hard. How have you, is there a moment where you can go back in the story and you learned maybe that lesson of surrender and said, these things are beyond our control. And if I keep trying to exert my will over the top of what's real and true, I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm going to become exhausted. Can you take, can you go back to a place where you say, yep, it, I, I shifted and I, and I learned to live with more of a posture of surrender. And if so, how, what was it that, that helped you make that pivot? Well, um, I'll share a story. And, and this was uh, early on when we were in this, um, you know, just every season is different. But you go back to a vintage uh 2011 here in Oregon and we had a very very cool growing season and then you know every fall the rains will come but the goal for us as wine growers and winemakers are is hopefully we get the fruit ripe and where we want it to be before the rains come Hmm. and it was September and the rains came and they came and they came and you know the grapes weren't ripe yet because it hadn't been a terribly it hasn't been a terribly warm growing season no and so i still remember waking up in in bed in september and just listening to the pitter patter pitter patter the rain on the roof and this happened day after day after day after day and and you know thinking to myself what are we going to do how are we going to possibly make a wine with what we've got and just being patient and having faith that it's going to work out. 
And then we picked our grapes the latest that we've ever picked here in Oregon. We started harvest the third week of October. Wow. Well, what, what happened before that, the rain all through September came and came and came. And then early in October, the rain stopped and the skies parted and the sun came out. And we had three glorious weeks in October and it made the vintage. Wow. And so it, it all worked out. And just having, you know, going through that, knowing that, hey, sometimes you just have to step back and wait mm. and have faith that it will work out. I love the imagining laying in bed, listening to the rain <laughs> and just going, is this going to go on another week? This can't go on another week. What if this goes on another week? And if you're not from the Northwest, a, a three-week break of beautiful weather in October is not, that's not a normal thing. That's a that's an unusual moment. What a great remembering, uh, just a great memory to have the, that night after night after night thinking, will this ever end? Where is this rain coming from? And then all of a sudden in the strangest space to have October show up and go three straight weeks of beautiful October that there's somebody living that story right now. And the, as unexpected as October was for you, uh, whoever you are listening, that's hearing that take some comfort in that from what Brad just said, because we all know what that feels like to listen to the rain at night and wonder. And there is that space on the other side where October breaks open and something beautiful comes from it. Oh man. Because that was bud break happened in October. You know what I mean? Like if you keep the, these uh, metaphors going, that was, that was a little bit of spring right in the heart of harvest, you know? Yeah. This is so good that I feel like I can take a deep breath and just, you've helped me without even being on your land, without being near you uh, physically. It's just who you are. I mean, God has given you this incredible story. You have jumped out and leapt in faith and said yes over coffee and worked the ground. And it really has shaped you into some really incredible people. I just want to celebrate and say cheers to you and thank you for being who you are. Every time I encounter you, I come away with that same, like literally if I could check my blood pressure, it would be lower, I think. And there's a little bit more joy and hope. But there's a rigor, too, to your life that's just you, you got up at five this morning or earlier to work the ground, and, and you do um, show up every single day to cultivate this kind of way. I want to invite you just to give us kind of in some encouragement. You can pastor all of us as we head back into whatever the days and the weeks ahead have for us. And I just, it's uncertain. There's a lot of adversity facing us. And I just want to invite you to give us some encouragement about uh, living with a sense of, of really being present in the moment and enjoying gratitude, because those are the two things that when I am with you, it's inescapable. You are there, you're fully present, you give yourself to whoever is right in front of you, and there's always the sense that we're enjoying what God has done what the, the, the fruit of the vine and there's some joy to be shared and some, um, 
uh, you can't help but be grateful. As, as we look ahead to what's ahead in our lives, give us some encouragement along the lines of being present. How have you been able to, to learn to live in that way and live in this really generous space with a lot of gratitude that just seems to naturally come from you? Okay, well, I'm going to piggyback. You, you, you brought in St. Julian of Norwich. Mm, yeah. I mean, what a rock star, right? <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm going to piggyback off of you. And my, my closing words would be, um, because she, she received her visions, um, one of the strongest ones. She said it was the size of a hazelnut. Mm. And as Brad mentioned earlier, this what Ayers Vineyard is now used to be a hazelnut farm. So there's, there's a lot of, lot of old hazelnuts down in this ground. Mm. So St. Julian, she receives her, her visions and the, the, something that's the size of a hazelnut. And she said, in this little thing, I saw three properties. The first is that God made it. The second is that God loves it. And the third, that God keeps it. Wow. What else do you need? You know, that, what else? What else do you need? That That's enough to anchor me. Anchor me in this moment. Anchor me in this day. And anchor me with even everything that's going on in the world. Maybe especially because of all that's going on in the world. Just this overwhelming amount of energy that we have got to keep going. And we, we, we've, we've got to do this. We've got to do this well. We can. Yeah. It's we- time. Would you read those again? I can't believe the hazelnut thing. I I did not make that connection. Didn't know that about the hazelnut or orchard being on your property before. Maybe you had said that and I'd forgotten it. But read those words of Julian of Norwich again. Just yeah. what a beautiful way to kind of close out the conversation. Yeah, so she says, in this little thing, I saw three properties. The first is that God made it. The second is that God loves it. And the third, that God keeps it. Amen, amen. Brad and Kathleen, thank you for that. Thank you for living well. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for all of the things that we've been able to learn today from you. But I just, I'm so grateful. Um, There's the Elton John song that says, I thank the Lord there's people out there like you. That's, That's how I feel about you. I think it's how everybody else feels about you. How can people connect with you and the story of heirs and maybe just follow along or maybe they want more information? Where should they go to look? How can they reach out personally and find you? We have a website www.airsvineyard.com A-Y-R-E-S um, But another fun way is you know uh, we do not rock the social media game at all like <laughs> we try, we try our best but we do have, a, just on Instagram mostly, I mean it's just, that's what I what's what I do like about Instagram it's it's just a photo essay and we have a lot of, lot of great photos on there and um, you know, picture speaks a thousand words and it's just a good place to pop in and and get a update on what's happening around the farm. I love it. Well, if you're listening, go to the website. We'll put the links up. Go to the website, find Ayers Vineyard on Instagram. And Kathleen, Brad, keep sharing the pictures because I'll tell you what, they show up at the most curious times. I see them on my Instagram feed. 
and it takes me right back to that space. And you may not know it, but those pictures are life giving. It just it, uh-huh. it it gives us the ability to pause for a second and remember all of these things that you've taught us today, and to think back to to that space. So thank you so much, Brand Kathleen. You're amazing. Keep up the incredible work, and thank you for sharing something that brings so much joy to so many of us. We're really grateful. Thank you, Zach. We we just love you, and uh, we're grateful. Thanks for the chance to let us have this quiet time of contemplation and discussion, and you know, let's do it again. Yeah, let's do it again. Next time we do it, we're doing it out there, though. I promise I'll get out there. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take us out of here. I'll hang with me just for a second and I'll be right back. Okay. You've been listening to Lab the Podcast. I'm Zach Elliott. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Zach J. Elliott. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review us. Join me next time for our next episode. Thank you for listening.